Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health. With your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show. My name is Gabe Howard, and of course, Vincent M. Wales is accompanying me just like he does every week. It's kind of weird. It is. It is. It's 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 like you're stalking me. All right, then. I'd kind of like you to quit. No, but we have a guest. Can we, we move on? <laughs> we have a guest. <laughs> we do have a guest, and her name is Jody Amen, correct? Yes. It is, it is my, my sole duty in life to get everybody's name correct, so, so thank you for letting me know. And you are an anxiety specialist. Yes, I am. Excellent. Can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. I'm a psychotherapist, so I've been uh, helping people recover from anxiety, depression, sadness, transition, all those kind of things for the last 20 years. I have been an anxiety struggler in my past, and I totally cured myself of it. And so since then, I wrote a book, You Want Anxiety Zero, because after I helped myself, I used those same steps and helped like thousands of my clients since then. And I thought, I got to put this together because there are so many people suffering out there that I got to get this message out. And so I wrote the book and I started a YouTube channel and here I am on Psych Central. Very cool. So you have a YouTube channel, you said? Yeah, Jody Amen. Very, very cool. So... Okay, you mentioned your book, You Won Anxiety Zero. Yes. You go to Amazon, you type in anxiety self-help, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of, of, of books. How is your book, You Won Anxiety Zero, different from all the others? Well, you know, it's from, you know, some books are from anxiety sufferers and how they did it and their personal story, like a memoir. And then some books are from the expert view or like the, ther- the therapist, the psychiatrist, something like that. And so there's a separation a little bit and my book does both you know not only do i tell my own story but i tell the story of a lot of my clients and that's why people love my book so much but it also is a workbook in there so there's places that people could uh, write down things and the third way that it's different than other books is that i take down the power of anxiety it seems like most of the books out there are really giving skills and they just teach people skills. But I realize that sometimes anxiety is so strong, and I know people have those skills, but they're still struggling. And so I help them break down the power of anxiety so that those skills just work and they just feel better. Is there a single thing that's best that you can do for a panic attack? Yes, there is a single thing that you could take action. When you do something, when you take some kind of action, if you think about it, the fear response in our brain that's triggered by the amygdala, the whole point of it is to either fight or flee, right, to, to do something. And once you do something, that, that those hormones that are released, released in order to do something get used up. And so it, when we start to take action, when we're in some situation that we imagine is dangerous or I mean, we perceive as dangerous, even though we're not in physical danger, we're really upset about it. When we take action, we release the GABA hormone. And that puts the brakes on the adrenaline. So the single most important thing you could do in a panic attack is to do something. That could just mean pacing back and forth. A lot of people intuitively do that during a panic attack. They just walk back and forth or walk around their house. They feel like they have to move, you know. You're crawling out of your skin. 
as our as our listeners know, and I believe as you know, I I, I have panic attacks a lot, so less frequently now that I've been to therapy and I've read things that you have written and and I've really helped myself in in this way. But one of the things that popped into my head when you were saying it's important to do something, of course, it's important to do something that's not destructive. For example, when I before I knew what a panic attack was, whenever I would have a panic attack, I would do something and it would be eat. I would I would mm-hmm. eat the panic attack away and I ballooned to 550 pounds. So oh my. Um, obviously we should point out that you should do something productive or, or something that's, you know, healthy. But how do you decide what to do? How do you come up with that routine? I mean, I, I think pacing is a very good one. And it's it's one that, you know, I step outside and walk around the building. And that really does help me a lot. But, Excellent. Yeah, that's helped. that helped me so much when I was struggling. If you walk every day, that really, really helps you. Even if you're not anxious, walk. It's going to help your anxiety overall. But, yeah, walking. Sometimes, you know, I, I it depends on how bad someone's anxiety is, but you want to suggest the safe kind of action, you know. Uh, you don't want to go too outside their comfort zone. So it could be if they're in their house. We need something to engage the brain also because anxiety needs your brain space. And we want to engage your attention on something. So the activity would be great if it was engaging. And it could be like a fictional show or a book, or it could be cleaning out a drawer or cleaning out a closet because you're safe there. You know, it's not too far outside your comfort zone, but it's something you could do. And when you're cleaning out a drawer, you have to figure out where am I going to put this? Am I going to keep it or am I going to throw it away? Should I build shelves here? What can I do to make this neater? I got, you know, like there's a problem solving. And when you're problem solving, you're using that prefrontal cortex and you're going to build it up. And that's going to help you with the anxiety in the moment, but also anxiety in the future. So we want to engage our mind in those problem solving skills. First of all, it takes up the brain space. And second of all, it's going to build that prefrontal cortex and it's going to decrease your anxiety. That's very cool. So one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning was that walking every day, not just when you're having a panic attack is is something that's, that's very beneficial to overall mental health. Would you say that's like a best daily practice or I guess my question is what is the best daily practice for, for self-confidence to, to ward off anxiety? That's interesting because I have two answers to that question. And yes, walking every day is the answer. If you want to do one thing to move the needle and how you feel in your emotional health, it would be walk every day outside if you could. And the reason why I'm saying there's another answer to that question is because when you make a commitment and do the same thing every day, it could be a five-minute activity, a 10-minute activity, but that's how you build your self-confidence. That's how you build your trust in yourself. And you know what I learned is that trust is the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety means you don't trust yourself. You don't trust you can handle something. You don't trust you could do it. And when you make a commitment, so walking every day 10 minutes and you do it, you're going to build your self-confidence up. You're going to build your trust in yourself. And then anxiety really can't convince you that you can't handle stuff anymore. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that you also have had to deal with your own anxiety in the past. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? How long did it go on? When did it start? That sort of thing. Sure. I, I was introduced to anxiety when I was just five years old. And I, when I found out that people die and I freaked me out because all the security that I thought I knew in the world was gone. If you could lose it, then you don't really have that security in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified by that idea that I could die or someone I love could die. And so I was five. And so my mom couldn't leave me. She had to read to me books 
when I got between books, my mind would go into that panic again, and she'd have to try to draw my attention back to a story, and uh, I couldn't be alone at night for years. And actually, so I panicked off and on for the next 20 years, and so when I panic, I lose weight. I can't eat. I'm so upset to my stomach. You know, I have all kinds of GI problems, and so I just really struggled with my weight. I had migraines and all these kind of problems when I was young, and it wasn't until my mid-20s that I was, I was already a social worker, you know, and I was so, when you're anxious, you're depressed because life stinks like that. You feel so alone and nobody understands and you try to hide and you feel so different. And so I, I started to see, like, when I helped somebody else, like, I felt a bit of a sense of belonging and I knew I could make them feel that way too. And that's why I went into social work. And when I was in my mid-20s and I was working in a psychiatric hospital and people were talking about their worst clients every week, you know, we met together and we talk about our worst clients and, and over and over these clinicians were talking about people with anxiety and it sounded like, I sounded like worse than the people, their worst cases, like what I had, I couldn't get out of bed sometimes and it's so bad, like I came home from work at five and got into bed till the next morning, like I couldn't function at all. And I was, I missed some work too. And, um, and so it was humiliating thinking I was so bad. I'm supposed to be the one helping people. And it was like fraud. So I ran out of that meeting and went into my car. And I tell the story a little bit more detailed in my book and, and online. Actually, my latest blog is a story, so you can hear it in more detail if you go to my website, jodyamon.com. But I ran out of that meeting one day, and I looked at myself in the rearview mirror, and my face was pale, and my neck was long, and that's exactly how my dad told me about death. His face was pale, and his neck was long, and I said, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, if I could learn this, I could unlearn that. I could unlearn it. And so I set my sights on that, and I just made that commitment and decided I got to learn what to do. And it took me a little while because I had to do it all from scratch, but now I'm taking people a shortcut. Would you say you're cured now? Yeah, I would. I would. I still have the biological fear response, but I don't want to get rid of that because it's amazing. You know, our body's pretty amazing that we have this in case we're in danger. You know, we're, we're kind of superhuman. The problem is what I call anxiety is a leftover fear response when you're not in physical danger. So I call anxiety that leftover the stuff that's all suffering and we don't need it at all. Uh, so I would say I'm cured from that any suffering part. Yes, my adrenaline still goes off. I can notice it in different times. I'm not scared of it in the least if I know I'm safe. I'm like, thank you, Migla. Thanks. If I needed <laughs> you, you'd be right there. I'm so excited. And then I, you know, I go down on with my day and I calm down. Um, so I still feel that, but I don't have that fear. You have to be afraid of your anxiety. It has to bother you for it to continue and make you suffer and then spiral worse and worse and worse. Because oh, the more wow. you're afraid of it, the more you re release the adrenaline, the more you're afraid of it, the more you release the adrenaline. So you get more and more. That's why it feels like a kind of people spiraling. I know a lot of people can relate to that feeling. I definitely had that. Um, so you, if you're not afraid, the amygdala stops releasing the adrenaline. Sure. So I, I guess one of the you had mentioned that you, you don't want to get rid of your body's natural ability to, to know when you're in danger, et cetera. But I mean, how can you tell the difference? How, how do you know that, when that's you're... Not, that's not what I... That isn't okay. what I said, because your body reacts before you know. The amygdala releases that adrenaline before your cognition comes in. It could be a smell, a sound, something weird, a strange situation, some, 
you know, something seems off. If you think about it, like thousands of years ago when we were walking around the woods, if, some, if you heard a, a sick crack, there's like confusion or there's a, a weirdness, that would mm-hmm. set off your amygdala, right? And rightly so. So even when we're confused, when something seems a little off, we are going to trigger that. And so it's not until the amygdala sends a message to the cortex, check it out, check out if everything's okay. And so when it does that for me, my cortex says, yes, everything's okay. We're, we're fine. Thank you very much. We don't need you. That's what my, my cortex says. But I have to do the heavy lifting, you see, because the amygdala has this really strong message going up to the cortex because for evolution, for biology, like to keep us safe, we needed that amazing. But the pathways from the cortex back to the amygdala saying everything's okay, it's really not that strong because we don't need that for survival. So we have to do that consciously ourselves. We have to say, we don't need you. But what I see with my clients, and I know this because I could see, I see it and I saw it myself too, is that we send, we get, you know, the amygdala gets set off because they're, it is set off with emotion because that's a lot faster than cognition. So it feels like anxiety comes out of the blue because it comes before we even think about it. But it doesn't come, there's always a trigger. It does not come out of the blue. So we're already set off. We're already buzzing before our cortex, before our consciousness gets involved. And once the consciousness gets involved, then you look around, am I safe or not, right? But what happens is people say, I don't see any danger, but I feel dangerous. Keep pumping those hormones. Something's not right. And that's why people stay anxious. It's so easy. It's not a mental illness. It's so easy to happen to anybody. Very cool. Thank you. That helpful? Did you ever hear about it like that? No, no. That's uh, I've lived with anxiety and panic disorder for years, and it's it's never been explained that way to me. It it makes sense. I, I mean, I, I understood that it came from somewhere, and, and obviously you can have normal. I guess I'm making the air quotes levels of anxiety, and then there's abnormal levels of anxiety, and it's those abnormal levels that that well, those those are the ones that get you. So, Vin, you look like you had a question. Yeah, I was curious. Um... As you've been a psychotherapist, I think you said for 20 years now. Yep. What is anxiety the the most common problem that you deal with in that in that field? Absolutely, because it comes with all other problems. You know, every time something is is awful or a tragedy happens, anxiety comes with it. Because it's like, how long am I going to feel this way? Can I handle this? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And the anxiety comes with everything, and so it is the worst problem because it tells everything and sometimes it becomes its own animal and worse than the original problem that's what often happens but yeah so i work with 35 people a week over 20 years so maybe that's about 50 weeks a year i maybe took a couple weeks vacation 35 people a week about two or three problems per hour so i did the math and it's 105,000 problems Wow. And once I started wow. to think about this and see, because I unpack problems, I deconstruct all of them because I'm a narrative therapist. I do narrative therapy and I deconstruct problems. And I started to realize behind all of them is fear. It's behind everything. If you think about it, fear mm-hmm. and guilt, but really, you know, the worst fear we have is that we're not good enough and that's guilt. So they're really the same thing at the mm-hmm. bottom of everything. Then I started thinking about problems like in communities and problems in nations and internations. And I started, started to think about 
oh my gosh, look at all these things. These are all based in fear also. You're afraid of losing something, so you try to get power over somebody else to keep it, you know, that kind of stuff. Even domestic violence, I just started seeing everywhere the root of all our problems was anxiety and fear. Thank you so much. So we're we're getting near the end of our show. This will really be the last question, but can you give our listeners a takeaway? Like what would be the last tip that you can share with us about how to feel better in, in our own lives? Yeah, I, I will tell you a practice that really will change things is every night before you go to bed, write down three things that you did that day. Not three things you're grateful for. You could do that too because we know that's amazing, but that's passive. You could be grateful for things you have nothing to do with. I want you to write down three things that you accomplished or that you were successful in because we constantly look at all of our deficits and all the things we don't get to and all our inadequacies and yada, 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 and we forget to look at our skills and our abilities. And that's why we're lacking trust in ourselves, and that's why anxiety is so pandemic because we as a culture don't have trust in ourselves. So this daily practice, writing down three things that you accomplished every day, starts to connect you with your skills and abilities. And and when anxiety says you can't handle it, it'd be like, I can, look what I've done. And we're pretty amazing and adjustable creatures, but anxiety is telling us you're a fool, you make bad decisions, you can't do anything, you can't do this, it's too hard, and um, we just listen. But if you do this practice, you stop listening to that. You know it's a bold-faced lie. Anxiety lies constantly. Oh, anxiety lies, it's, it's... I'm trying to avoid saying that anxiety is an a-hole because we're a family show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jody. You're ben, welcome. Do you have any questions? But before we end, I always no, claim I to ask so the happy. last question. I just, <laughs> I just want people to know that, that it is possible to get better and it, it's not a life sentence and you can get better from anxiety. It's not something you have to keep living with. People wait way too long before they get help, but come on over to my website, jodyeman.com. I have so many videos and articles for you, and, and let's get you better. That is fantastic. Thank you, Jody, for being on our show. Thanks, Vin, as always, for putting up with me. This has been this week's episode of the Psych Central Show. If you are an iTunes user, Please give us a review or a rating or subscribe. If you're a Google Play user, please do the same. Or if you continue to find us on psychcentral.com or all of our social media streams. Until next week, bye. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com.